Um, and, and one could make a very good argument that part of your job as a leader is to bring discomfort to people. And I don't mean it in a fear stoking way, John, you know, that's not my style, but I do mean it in a way that nudges people out into discomfort to activate what I call their courage zone, where they might be a little bit afraid and a little bit excited at the same time. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth, exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. One of the things I wanted to talk about in, in one of your other books, which is behind me, by the way, and everybody buy these books because they're, they're phenomenal. So if you're listening to this, buy these books. One of the things you talk about that I really thought as, as I was rereading it uh, this morning was this idea of opportunities that create discomfort. And I think this is something that's so interesting because if we're developing leaders, especially those who aren't leading today, one of the things we always have to do is push them into a discomfort to the point where they start to learn and understand how to recover from or have resiliency in setbacks. Because most good leaders start by being really good at something. And usually then they don't want to leave that something because it's comfortable and they're good at it. And in leadership, you got to go, yeah, but you got to do all these other things because you just, just part of the job. So I'm curious where that thought, where that concept came up for you, why you f felt the need that it was so important to talk about and write about and, and help our, our listeners and audience learn a little bit more about why that is so important when you're developing people, whether it's in a, in a, uh, a genuine leadership development program or in, in where it should be is in the, in your direct reports relationship and how you're helping them to, to grow week over week, year over year. Thanks for the question. And it's central to life and a thriving career is the idea of discomfort. Um, and, and one could make a very good argument that part of your job as a leader is to bring discomfort to people. And I don't mean it in a fear stoking way, John, you know, that's not my style, but I do mean it in a way that nudges people out into discomfort to activate what I call their courage zone, where they might be a little bit afraid and a little bit excited at the same time. You can't be, you don't want to like, immerse them too far out into discomfort where they choke uh, or they get petrified. But you have to have it enough into discomfort where what was what made sense before they're going to have to acquire new skills to make sense of today. And I think of two things. One is, you know, riding a bicycle, literally, right? Like you learn to ride a bike because one of your parents took the training wheels off. And now you're afraid and you took four wobbly pedals and you probably fell down and scraped your knees, cried a little bit. What did your parents make you do? get back up and do it again. We're not stopping, right? <laughs> this is uncomfortable, but you're going to learn how to ride this bike. And uh, and that metaphor is kind of, you know, interesting because you don't stop those courageous moments when you're four or six years old. You, you know, you're, you're going to have other courageous moments in your life. In my case, and it's from the book, Courage Goes to Work, uh, you might remember I was a professional high diver and I used to dive off of 100 foot platforms into 10 foot deep pools traveling at speeds in excess of 50 miles an hour. And people would ask me, you know, like, how did you, you know, how do you do that? And, and, you know, no diver in their right mind would jump one time from 100 feet without first jump, jumping 100 times from 10 feet and then 100 times from 20 feet. You incrementally work it up because you're modulating between comfort and discomfort. You have to get to, now I'm uncomfortable. I'm at 10 feet and I've never done it from 10 feet before. My heart is racing. I'm a little bit scared. I do it 50 times. I get better. I get competent. 
I, then I get a little cocky and then I get up to a hundred. Then I'm like, I can do this in my sleep. I'm kind of bored with it. That's great. I'm glad you're bored. Time to move up to 20 feet. 20 feet? You didn't tell me we we're going to be doing that. And so we moved from comfort. You know, we, we start uncomfortable. And then we do this uncomfortable thing. We start to figure it out. We start to gain some competency. We gain mastery and comp competency. We gain confidence. Then we start getting cocky. It's time to go back out into discomfort, modulating between comfort and discomfort. And it's a leader's job to be monitoring that because each person is going to have a different threshold of discomfort that they can withstand. We call that absorbability. And each person is going to have a different place on that continuum between safety seeking behavior and opportunity seeking behavior that we can push them out. And you as a leader have to be mindful of it. And you as a leader are constantly modulating between comfort and discomfort. Let them acquire the skills, let them gain mastery and comfort, and then don't let them become too comfortable. It's time to move out. Um, I love the quote from Ginny Rometty. She's the CEO of IBM. And at Fortune Magazine's Most Powerful Women's Summit, she said, comfort and growth don't coexist. It's a great quote because we progress, develop, and evolve in a zone of discomfort, not comfort. That's why any human being in your career or not in your career, just in your life, if you start getting too used to something and it's too easy and you're starting to get stale with it, you talked before about leadership development, like if it doesn't change, if the facilitator like turning it in with the same notes that he had from 10 years ago, we have something we call design days. And it forces us to be thinking about the next couple of workshops that, yeah, we've done them 10 times, but we can't do them the same way we did them last time. It's a new class. There's new fields of practices. There's new best practices from other companies. We have to keep ourselves contemporary and it keeps it new and fresh because if we ever phone it in, then, then it's time for me to retire. Yeah, that, that, that's great. One of the things, so I, I was, as you were talking, I thought about one of the stories that where I was put into well, I was put into multiple uh, roles that were always uncomfortable for me. And uh, I had mentors that were doing that for me. And that's where I learned how to do it as a leader, right? You follow somebody who is doing those things. But one of the th times that I actually implemented that in, in a situation I was in, I was tasked by the CEO at the, at the company at the time to fix one of our biggest business units. It wasn't working well. Things were, everything was kind of mass chaos. And so I observed for like three months, trying to understand what was really going on. And, I, and it, and this idea of complacency came to mind because I watched our leaders who are really good at what they did, just keep doing the same thing and not getting out of their own minds of what was, what was a fixed mindset. So I went into a, I went to my CEO and I said, I got a radical idea you're either going to really love this and you're going to promote me again or, or pat me on the back or I'm going to get fired. It's one of the two. There's an, it's an extreme. And so I laid it out for him and he goes, all right, let's give it a shot. And so I went to the next leadership team meeting and I moved all of my leaders into another leadership role on that team. So I took my product development VP and put them into engineering. I put my engineering person into marketing. I put my marketing person into finance and I took the finance person. And I said, you're in production. And they all looked at me like, what in the world are you doing? But it was that idea of discomfort. They were really good at what they did. So they could bring that same knowledge to something different and see a different lens. But they also had to rely on the people around them because they were not the experts in those areas. So we did this for six months. And I said, just give me six months. If it doesn't work, I will change it. And I'm likely not going to be here anyway. So it won't matter. Uh, and we went down that path. And six months later, I had all of them going, this was eye-opening. I couldn't believe how stagnant I had gotten or how I wasn't thinking of these things. And so 
you know, six months went by. They were like, no, we're going to keep doing this a year later. They were like, no, let's keep, I want to stay in this role. And finally I started shifting them back to their original roles, but it was that moment. And that's what hit me as a light bulb moment to say, that's the idea for leadership is that it doesn't have to be to that extreme, but it has to be this idea that we are going to push people out of the comfort zones, but we have to know who they are. We have to know what we think they can do in the next step. I always tell people who report to me, I may promote you into this role, but it's only in this role because I'm thinking two roles ahead. I don't know what those roles are, but I do know that I'm thinking ahead because I'm putting you in something now that it's safe for you to fail or struggle because you're not going to lose influence and you're not going to, it's not going to hurt your trajectory of, uh, in, in an organization here or otherwise, but it's going to be so far different because I'm going to put you into those places where I know you can do it and you need those skills. I have a person around my team right now. I put her into a role. She's a phenomenal operational leader. She could, she can schedule and run things from an operational standpoint in her sleep. And I could see it. And, but I could see two steps ahead where she could be sitting in my seat, uh, hopefully sooner than later. I would love that. And, but the one area I knew was going to be a struggle was around people and engaging people and seeing the best in them and resources, but also having the ability to hold the line, hold accountability. So I moved her into my talent team and I put her in management, uh, a management role over my talent team. And she went, uh, what? I'm like, yeah, you're not. And I, and I don't want you. And I completely walled her off from the operational side. I just said, nope, you're not. And she was, and she came to me probably six months ago and was like, whoa, I, I now see why you had me do this. I said, yes. Cause if you get into a role like mine, where you have to see the entire picture, I need you to understand how important it is to stay connected to the talent side of things. Most C-suite people that I know miss that part of it. They miss the human element because they're really good in finance. They're really good in sales. They're really good in operations. And they never had a rotation in the talent side and go, man, this is not, this is not black and white. This is always the shade of gray. Uh, and that human element you miss when you start losing touch with things. And so it was something that somebody gave me as an opportunity. I gave that to her and I'm like, so I'm not, I'm and I told her straight up, I don't see you th in this role forever. That's I'm not moving you in this kind of a trajectory. I see you somewhere else, but I need you to have this as a skill set before I can give you that next opportunity. So, uh, I mean, oh, wow, John, that's bold. Both of those moves were, were bold. I commend you for, for that. Uh, it does remind me of um, one senior executive group that I work where they have a people summit each year where they will, they will look at the next generation coming up, put the person's picture on a slide in front of all 20 people in the room, the guy or gal's boss is in the room. And so they know all about the performance of this person, but the, the boss also gets to hear the other people's perspective of this performer and their potential because they need to be in on the conversation too, as a, as an entire executive body. And they're evaluating the, the path for this person. And one of the key questions that always comes up is, you know, that person's willingness to, uh, are, they, are they portable? Can we put them in a different role? They're, they're acquiring new skills that are outside their current skill sets that serve the company well, but also serve their career growth well. So it becomes one of the evaluation points is, what do they need that's actually outside their expertise area right now if we're going to make them a more well-rounded executive? Yeah, it's I was very blessed to have that early in my career and it's stuck with me because it is important. If you're going to lead an organization, 
or a business unit, if you don't know how everything operates, you don't have to be the expert in it, but you've got to know the right questions to walk into a meeting with. And I don't think you can do that unless you've actually been in it and led it. And it makes it really uncomfortable. So that's, it was, it was fascinating as I reread that, your book on that, because it reminds me of that's a big part of our job as leaders. So I, the last question I have for you, and then I'll let you kind of lead, leave us with anything that you think I've missed in terms of asking questions is I'm curious from your perspective on when people are promoted into a leadership role, uh, and maybe it's a stretch. It's something that they are, it's a little bit out of their comfort zone or even maybe a lot out of their comfort zone and it doesn't work out. They just simply fail at it. What message would you have for both the organization that did it? Because there's always this hesitancy then, oh my goodness, we can't do that. And the person so that they may have failed in that position, but what's the message to those folks? Because that happens often. And uh, I'm curious to see, hear your insights around that. So I wrote a book and I apologize if, uh, to your listeners because there's a swear word in the title of my book, but I wrote a book called A Leadership Kick in the Ass. And the, the ass kick was the, the humbling moment that you didn't expect in your career. And, it's, and that book is about the importance of that moment. And the guy who wrote the foreword to the book was Clint Hurdle, uh, the ex-manager uh, of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who himself has some, uh, had some ass kicks in his own life. Uh, but he also did some amazing things. And in that forward, he said he's learned that there are two types of leaders, those who have been humbled and those who are about to be, that <laughs> every leader gets humbled. And I, and I asked him, I said, so what would you say, Clint, this very question he asked me, somebody has their humbling moment in their career. And maybe your or own organization, you know, was involved in the contribution of that because they put them in over their head. And maybe they did experience a big failure. And now they've had a humble moment. What would you say to that person to reach them? And he said, welcome to the club. You know, it's like, here's your moment. It's like, here's your opportunity to learn something from that humbling experience. No leader gets a pass from this humble experience, humbling experience. And what are you going to do with it? How are you going to, to siphon out whatever lessons you can to make you a better and stronger, more authentic leader as a result of it? As you know, I think I saw it on one of the videos on your website. Uh, we probably learn more from those painful experiences than the, the great triumphs that we have. So those moments are pivotal. They're painful um, and critical to a thriving career, so much so that I wrote a whole book about the importance of it with a leadership kick in the ass. The question becomes, what do you do with that ass kick when you get your butt kicked from that? You know, nobody did it intentionally. They did it all with good reasons. And it happened. But now what? Are you, are you going to become stronger as a result? Are you going to be able to reach people with more empathy and understand their failures more? Are you going to uh, be more careful about the opportunities that you do take, careful in terms of evaluation and calculation? Um, you know, or are you going to just say that it's somebody else's fault and, and I did everything right, right? So, so it's, a, it's a great question. Yeah. So I will leave it at this point. Are there things that you would love our listeners to hear or what's something I didn't ask you that I should have that you are, are thinking this is, uh, this is an important part of my message to the world, if you will, on leadership? I think that you said everything that I, I would have wanted or asked everything I would have wanted to ask. And I, I, I love your philosophy. I can I clearly, uh, you know, where you and I have very similar philosophies. and I love what you've done. Uh, I guess the thing that I would leave your listeners with is remember when you're in a leadership role, a couple of things. First of all, it is a privilege. 
when you have the ability to influence somebody and possibly impact the trajectory of their career and oftentimes their lives through your intercession and, and hopefully in a positive way, uh, that's a great honor and that's a great privilege. Take it seriously and, and uh, don't take advantages of your privilege that privileges that it comes with, but take advantage of the privilege it is to do right by your people. The second thing is that remember as a leader, your success is now contingent upon you making other people successful. So in a way, you work for them. Your job is to remove barriers to their success, to help empower them, equip them, skill them, encourage them, to bring them more courage so that they can do great things in the world. You want them to go farther than you went, just like our parents want us to go farther than our parents went. So remember that your success when you're a leader is not about your own climb. It's about what can you do to help them be successful. And then the third thing I'd say, and you got to, you alluded to this with the baton passing is, leadership is a tradition. It is a baton passing from one generation to the next. And when you're holding that baton, do right with leadership, do good with leadership. Start from your own goodness, not from your own pettiness and bring that goodness to your leadership and your character, your strength of character. And then you've got to pass that stuff off to the next folks so that when they got the baton, they can do good things with it. That's the tradition of leaders. Leaders create other leaders. That's the great legacy of leadership, like you're doing with this podcast. So I, I very much appreciate the opportunity to have spoken with you today, John. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.